Well, good morning, everybody. It really is good to see each and every one of you here today, and it's always really cool to be able to switch it up and, and put the guitar down and come over and bring the Word of God. I was thinking about Nehemiah chapter 8 this morning and how there they were all together and the Word of God was being read, and it was the Word of God that changed the people to where they all began worshiping and praising, giving thanks to God. There was a real movement of God around His Word. And I think that it's really amazing that God, by his grace, has seen it fit to lead the leadership of the church, Pastor Rob, to take us through the entire book of Matthew. We're not just looking at a few verses. We're not just looking at a part or a section. No, we're looking at the entire book. We're going in deep. We're learning what it is that the kingdom of God is and what Jesus has for us. We're continuing in the Sermon on the Mount today. And this is often a, I feel like I've seen um, other churches do sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. There's a lot of great content here and a lot of good stuff happening, and you really could make it a standalone series. But no, we got to do the whole book of Matthew together. So let's get into the verses that we're going to focus on today. Let's see what Jesus has for us in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's let him speak to our hearts and lives. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16 says this. Jesus speaking these words, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven." So last week we opened up to Matthew chapter 5 and Pastor Rob took us into this, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, seeing the crowds, begins to make his way up on this mountain. I can only imagine what that scene must have looked like with Jesus making his way up, the disciples following, a crowd also gathering, but Jesus being there overlooking this beautiful Sea of Galilee. And he begins to teach. Now, he's specifically teaching and speaking to his disciples, but I'll get right back to that in a second. What we see here in the Sermon on the Mount is really this turning point from an old covenant to a new covenant. Fundamentally, Jesus is setting the course for the kingdom of heaven. He's establishing this kingdom of God. What's happening right here on the Sermon on the Mount, of which was probably a pretty long sermon, our, our Bibles do a great job of recording the Sermon on the Mount, but all in all, it probably was actually longer than what we have recorded. In comparison, this moment of this, this teaching of the Sermon on the Mount could probably hold the same and similar significance of when the law or the the, the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments, were presented to the people of Israel. 
And it was commanded to the people of Israel that they follow the law of God. And this is how they, they, they live in covenant and with the Lord. So right here, Jesus is changing the script with this Sermon on the Mount and establishing that the new covenant of the Lord would be through Jesus himself. This is a really cool moment in time. Now, back to the disciples for a quick second. Hopefully part of uh, a takeaway of our intro today is that we can compare two audiences. So the two audiences that I would like us to focus on is first the disciples, who Jesus is speaking to, but also the crowd that would have also gathered at that time. So the disciples were some guys that were specifically called by Jesus himself. If I could turn back a page here to Matthew chapter 4, I'll read verse 19. Jesus says, and he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. An important moment for some of these men, as Jesus was calling them. But these disciples were guys that were called by Jesus himself. What's cool is these guys were busy doing the things that their job, they were busy doing their jobs. And as Jesus called them, they dropped their nets, they turned from the things that they were doing, and I'll specifically say this, they turned from their kingdom for the kingdom of Jesus. And as they grew and they spent more time with Jesus, they began to love him more and more. The disciples were seen as avid learners of their time. What were they learning about? Well, they were learning about the ways of Jesus. They were learning the Jesus way. As Jesus taught, they learned. Specifically, if you look at Matthew chapter five, verse two, and it says this, and he opened his mouth and taught them. As Jesus, the master, the teacher, was teaching, the disciples were learning. They were growing. So the disciples were called by God. They gave up their, their kingdom to follow the kingdom of Christ. Now the crowd, on the other hand, let's look at them. The crowd, on the other hand, would have been average people, mostly intrigued by what Jesus was doing. Now at the time, and if you look at the verses prior to chapter 5, Jesus was doing really cool stuff, a lot of neat miracles. So the crowd had gathered and they were starting to pursue this new guy on the scene, Jesus. Why? Because he was doing miracles. I would almost see like the people wanting a cool show. Hey, I want to go see some, hey, you guys want to go see some miracles? This guy, Jesus, he's doing some pretty cool stuff. He's healing diseases. Oh, you got diseases? Let's go to Jesus. He can fix us. And there's this interesting contrast because in a sense, perhaps these people were, were starting to be intrigued and follow Jesus for what they could receive for their kingdom. If they were hurting or in need of something, well, if I go see Jesus, Jesus will fix my world. He'll fix my kingdom. I want to follow this Jesus so I can get something. So, Comparing and contrasting these two audiences at the time, the disciples were men that gave up everything to follow Jesus, and they wanted to learn. The crowd, on the other hand, perhaps was pursuing this man Jesus because they wanted to gain something. Now, 
for us in the verses that we would have just read, going to verse 13, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. This is what we're gonna specifically focus on this morning. Jesus has something for us today. He's got something for you and he's got something for me. And I've been wrestling with this passage as I've been preparing for this sermon. Now, in Matthew chapter four, verse 19, it says, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. This is an identity statement that Jesus says to these guys, hey, you've been fishermen your whole life, you've been working your normal jobs, lay that aside, come and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, this will be your new job. It's bigger than yourself. This was an identity statement. For us, identity statements are often very, very important. Who are we and what do we do and why do we do it? I don't think it's by mistake that oftentimes when we meet somebody new, it's like, hey, I'm Ben. Um, I work at a church. Maybe when you introduce yourself to somebody, you say, hey, uh, what do you do for a living? What what do you do? Because it gives us this, this context of identity. And identity is oftentimes the very thing that helps us know how to take our next step forward each and every day. Now Jesus is changing, he will, he's adding to this identity statement. You will be fishers of men. But Jesus now says, you will be the salt of the earth. You will be the light of the world. These are two totally new identity statements. And these statements are clearly metaphors because these disciples that were following Jesus didn't turn into salt. They didn't turn into light bulbs and they weren't salt and they weren't light bulbs, right? So Jesus is using this as a metaphor to say, hey, you're gonna be fishers of men, you're gonna be salt, you're gonna be light, and let me explain. So salt has a lot of different properties. First and foremost, Salt brings flavor. Salt is savory. I'm sure if I just asked you to describe salt to me, you'd probably say, well, it adds flavor. Sure, totally, completely. Have you ever gone to a student's ball game somewhere and ordered a soft pretzel? You oftentimes take it to your seat or the bleachers or something and you go to rip a piece off to hand it to someone and all the salt falls off the thing. And you're just hoping and praying to God that just somehow you can get that salt from that flimsy paper plate back onto the pretzel because without the salt, the pretzel can be pretty bland. It doesn't have flavor. It's not savory. Jesus is saying you're going to be salt. You are going to be flavor to the world. But how? Jesus, how do we become Savory, how do we become flavor? Well, all in all, if you, if you look to the verses that were just before this, as Jesus began to teach the Sermon on the Mount, he gave us the Beatitudes. And real quick, and they're in your, the app section of, of uh, or the note section of the app, um, just spelled out real quick in, in brief terms. And if you missed the sermon last week, I would encourage you, go back and watch it. Pastor Rob did a great job encouraging us and teaching us in the Beatitudes, in right living, following Jesus. And, and, and right here we see that Jesus, okay, so, 
So we're supposed to be spiritually hungry people. Empty, but spiritually hungry, desiring the things of Christ. We're to be people that mourn over sin. We mourn over sin. We are strong physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, but gentle, meek in nature. We pursue righteousness. Um, as I was thinking about pursuing righteousness, hung, verse, so in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I was reminded of a verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, where it says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, love, and peace, along with those that call on the Lord from a pure heart. In addition, we're supposed to be merciful and compassionate. We're to have a pure heart. We're to be peacemakers. And even at the end of the Beatitudes, because of Christ, we're to welcome persecution in the name of Jesus. As we give our lives to Christ, as we follow the ways of Jesus, persecution may come and it may be difficult, but Jesus prepares us to welcome that because of him and his name. Now when we live out these things, when we accept these things, and these characteristics that Christ gave us become a part of who we are, we are full of flavor. We are different in the world around us. Can you imagine if all of the people in our neighborhoods, those driving down the road, those that we encounter at restaurants, those that may not be so pleasant, can you imagine if they encountered the living God and, and, and came to Christ and started living as a spiritually hungry person that mourned over sin, that was strong yet gentle, that pursued righteousness, there was mercy and compassion, all of these things. The world would be a totally different place. And Jesus is saying that we need to be savory. He's saying to his disciples, you need to be the salt of the earth. You need to be savory. You need to be full of flavor. And that's by living out the things that Jesus had just said in the Beatitudes. Now, not only is salt something that brings flavor, but salt is something that was used as a preservative. Back in Bible times, there wasn't electricity. So therefore, there wasn't refrigeration, refrigerators. So how did they prepare or, or preserve food? To even these guys that were fishermen, this would have made some sense to them. Because after they got a catch, if they wanted to deliver it, uh, if it needed to be preserved for any amount of time, what they would use was salt. They would, they would preserve the fish or the catch with salt. So salt is used as a preservative. On that, for us, for the disciples, they were to be full of flavor. But in addition to that, one must be willing to protect others from those that are tasteless. You see that? In this world, we, we're gonna live as salt and light or we're gonna live as not salt and light, not flavorful, not bright, tasteless. And for the believer, for the Christian, for the disciple of Jesus, we need to be salty in the sense of flavorful, but we also need to, to be a preservative. We need to be those that protect from those that aren't living 
out the characteristics of Christ. So salt is representing flavor. It's representing a preservative. But there would also have been correlation to the Old Testament. Well, how? Well, in the Old Testament, um, Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13 says this. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Salt was used to add flavor and be a preservative, but it also stood as a legitimate symbol of the people's faithfulness and commitment to God as they surrendered and obeyed. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, the Lord asked above and beyond the people an offering. Did the, did, did the offering to God need to be salty? I don't think the Lord needed it to be salty. But the thing was, is that the Lord often commanded the people to go above and beyond. If it's good for you, may it, make it good for God. Make it good for the Lord. Salt would have been a precious commodity and or a resource. And it would have required uh, additional sacrifice and faith. And it would show your faithfulness and commitment that you were fully all in in your offering to the Lord. So salt serves as a flavor. It serves as a preservative. It serves as a, a reminder of an offering. But I think what's so cool is Christ is on the scene changing the old covenant to the new. Christ is going to go to the cross. And as, as we know the story, Christ goes to the cross and when he dies on the cross for our sins, the veil is torn. And Jesus says, I will, I will destroy the temple, I will rebuild it in three days. The new temple of God is our bodies. And scripture says that we are now a living sacrifice. So one, in the Old Testament, the sacrifice was grain offerings. Put your salt in there. Make your offering acceptable unto the Lord. And Jesus is, is, is reminding the people of the Old Testament, but also saying, you're going to be the salt now. You're part of the offering now. It's a little different. Salt was also important here because salt was going to be an example of the spread of the gospel. Now, Jesus, speaking primarily to his disciples, there's only 12 of them. And they're given this daunting task of going to the world and sharing the good news of Jesus, this new covenant, the building of the church. Jesus gives them this generous and nice encouragement. That do it like do do it do it like salt. Okay, let me let me explain. It wasn't going to so much be go and take the world by force, you know, using swords or power and manipulation. No, Jesus wanted to cool their hearts and cool their 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 spirits. That the spreading of the gospel was going to be more like taking a handful of salt, savory seasoning, and taking these grains of salt and casting them out. And as that salt spreads into the air, much becomes seasoned. It's different than just strong-arming something. 
Jesus wanted to alleviate the pressure of this, this reaching the entire world, the whole earth, the whole world with the gospel. You know, Jesus had a bigger, better plan that it was gonna be as scattering seasoning, almost like leaven in bread. A little bit of leaven goes a long way in making a loaf of bread. A little bit of salt can season a whole lot. So Jesus, speaking in metaphor, you are salt, be flavor, be a preservative. Remember offering, Old Testament, you are now the offering, the spreading of the gospel. But Jesus says this too in verse 13. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Jesus is, is kind of ending that, that section right there with a warning. What happens if salt loses its saltiness? This might not really compute with us because I've never experienced salt that has lost its saltiness. But in this time, Jesus would have been referring to salt from the Dead Sea. And the salt from the Dead Sea wouldn't have been very highly refined. So that means it was used, but it wasn't always very good. And it would expire. And when the salt from the Dead Sea, poorly refined, expired, it was really only as good as like crusty dust that you toss on the trail and you walk on. It's not good for anything. Now think about Jesus' audience, 12 disciples, one of which we know how he ends. Judas, the one that would fall from Christ, would have been an example of one that lost his saltiness, one that lost his flavor. And so Jesus gives us a clear warning. Don't lose your saltiness because how will it be restored? It's good for nothing. So for us today, let's take note Let's be flavor, let's be a preservative. Let's see how it was an offering. Let's be encouraged to spread the gospel. And let's take heed. But the metaphor doesn't end there. In verse 14, you are the light of the world. Gospel reach, global reach. I was watching, um, so anytime Pastor Rob asked me to preach, I get really nervous and then I think about it for weeks and I'm nervous. And then the night before I preach, I can't sleep because I'm nervous. And uh, so last night as I'm not sleeping, I, I'm watching YouTube videos. And one of these things was um, uh, Brian, a pastor was interviewing Brian Welsh, who was one of the um, band members from this metal, metal band called Korn. And uh, not too long ago, this guy really gave his life to Christ, sold all out completely. And it was really cool. Uh, but in his testimony, his testimony right off the bat was, um, was, really, was really cool because he said, before I fully sold out for Christ, my life was really dark. I thought, oh, I'm going to use that tomorrow. <laughs> But he described his life without Christ as being very dark. Jesus says, as a disciple, you are the light of the world. Here, light is a symbol of salvation and life. 
few verses that we can look at real quick is Isaiah chapter 42, verse six. It says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Isaiah 49, verse six says, and he says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Later in Jesus' story, in John chapter eight, verse 12, says this, and again, Jesus spoke to them saying, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have light, the light of life. Light is a symbol of salvation and life. This is what Jesus is communicating here in this moment. You are gonna be a symbol of my light and my salvation. He continues in chapter, uh, in verse 14, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. What does this mean? Well, looking at light, breaking this, up, uh, breaking this down a little bit, Jesus says that you're a city on a hill. As Christians, living out the Beatitudes, we should be savory, yes, and we should be bright, just like a city on a hill. Now, again, they didn't have electricity. So there wasn't all this ambient light. You know, sometimes living in Syracuse in the city, it could be like a really dark night, no clouds in the sky, but it's still hard to see the stars because there's so much ambient light in our area that just goes up in the atmosphere, it makes it difficult to see the stars. But if you go up to the Adirondacks or something like that where there's no ambient light, those stars burn really bright. As Jesus reflects upon a city on a hill at the time, there wouldn't have been all this ambient light within their community. But if you were to look to a hill and you were to see the light of anybody's house, you know, just a candle, it would have shown. You would see that city on a hill. A city on a hill would have been easy to see and hard to hide. For us, as the people of God, as disciples of Christ, we need to be just like a city on a hill. Easy to see, hard to hide. And if that didn't make sense, or if there was a little more explanation needed, Jesus is on it because he, he talks to us about lamps, okay? Jesus focuses on lamps to bring more clarity. He says this, verse 15, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Now, the Jewish people would have lived in these houses that were probably one two bedrooms at most. Like, and maybe I shouldn't even see bedrooms, like one or two rooms. They're small. And it wouldn't have been unusual for there just to be a spot in the house, maybe the corner of the house, where all the garbage went. And if somebody came to your house, knocked on the door, the people would take a, a, a it was probably more like a, a two-gallon R measuring, a two-gallon bucket uh, used for measuring out grain for food. They would take that and they would 
cover up their garbage so that whoever was knocking at the door didn't see it. So when Jesus is saying this, you don't, you don't take a light and put it under the trash can. For us today, let's not be like trash under the trash can. We don't put a light out and put it under the trash can. No, instead we put it on a stand for all to see. That makes the most sense, doesn't it? As the people of God, as, as disciples accepting this call to be light in the world, we need to be people that are willing to be present with others. And that might, that might come in the form or fashion of your work, your job, who you spend time with. Uh, it might be like going to a coffee shop or the gym, um, going to the grocery store, wherever. We need to be people that are willing to go and be present with others. Now I get that sometimes that can be really hard. Sometimes you just don't want to leave the house. Sometimes you just don't want to get out of bed. But Jesus is encouraging his disciples, you are salt, you are the light of the world. Don't hide, don't hide. And Jesus doesn't put any limits on this. Brothers and sisters, he doesn't just say to you know, Peter, the loud outgoing one, you are the light. You need to go out and be the, the flavor and burn bright. Go to all the coffee shop. No, he doesn't do that. This is for Matthew. This is for Peter. This is for all of his disciples. Doesn't matter your personality type, whether you're introverted or extroverted. Doesn't matter your financial status, whether you're rich or you're poor. Doesn't really matter if you're having a good day or a bad day. If you've given your life to Jesus, you are salt and you are light. That's what you're called to do. Now to encourage you, it's only by Jesus and it's only from Jesus that believers receive the light of life to be effective witnesses for the kingdom of God. It's only by Jesus and from Jesus that we receive the light of life to be effective witnesses for the kingdom of God. For us, let's look at the disciples, these, these men that laid down their kingdoms and went and sat at the feet of Jesus as avid learners. One, we should desire more Jesus. Two, we should desire to obey Jesus a little bit more. As we do those things, we will grow in that light. I love the verse in Psalm 34, verse five. It says, those that look to the Lord are radiant and their faces are never covered with shame. It's when we look to Jesus, it's when we look to the Lord, it's when we look to the word that we will truly burn brighter and brighter with each day. Verse 16 of Matthew five says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I don't know about you, but I think that oftentimes when I've read that verse, I, 
I focus on do good works. Identity statement. I gotta do good works. I gotta do the right thing. Okay, Lord, what do I have to do next? If we focus on the good works, we miss the point right here. It's, it's, this verse isn't actually about doing good works. This part of the verse, the point here is that God is glorified. That's the point, that God is glorified. To help better understand that, outsiders should be able to observe the changed conduct and behavior of believers and so see what God has done in them and in turn glorify God. It's totally different. It's not us working so that other people see Jesus. It's us glorifying God because he's changed our lives and is changing our lives. And as we live as salt, savory in the world, and as we live as light, shining bright everywhere we go, no matter where we go, people see that. And they see that God has done a work in us and they glorify God. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about right there. So how cool is this? That Jesus is, is giving us this new, this new covenant and he's preaching and he's preaching to the disciples and he's saying, here's, here's his beatitudes, these, these characteristics that, that let your heart be transformed and follow this way. And then he gives these disciples these metaphors. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are the mechanism by which the world will experience the goodness of God, the kingdom of God. Go forth, do it with me. Jesus is saying, do it with me. I won't leave you alone. I won't forsake you. As believers, I think that there's something that we can ask ourselves today. Will we choose to let go of our own kingdoms and accept the identity of salt and light? Will we choose to be savory, a preservative, an offering? Will we choose to burn bright everywhere we go? Will we choose to lay our kingdoms down and follow the kingdom of God? To live the Jesus way and bring flavor to a flavorless world in bright light to a dark world is what Jesus is inviting us into. What about you? I'm faced with this question just the same. What about me? What am I going to do? Am I gonna choose to live this Jesus way? Am I gonna do my best to continue to go before Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm really broken. And I struggle living out these beatitudes. But Jesus, I wanna, I wanna be at your feet more and more often. I wanna grow in your likeness more often. I wanna let you use me to build your kingdom. What about you? Can we do this as a church together? As we read the word of God, as we go through the book of Matthew, as we specifically get into the Sermon on the Mount, as we get laser focused on being salt and light, Will we choose to live this way, to be flavor in a flavorless world, in light in a dark world? This all starts with a personal relationship with Jesus. 
Just like the early disciples, seeing, seeing the disciples come to Jesus' feet, we need to desire more of him, and we need to remain teachable. Brothers and sisters, let's choose this morning to be salt and light. Let's choose to be fearless in it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that uh, we could unpack a little bit of this idea of being salt and what it is to be light. I pray for my brothers and sisters here in this room, those that have given their lives to you. Jesus, I know that it can be really difficult to trust your kingdom, to not just be um, one of the crowd that comes to you and desires you to do things for our kingdom. Jesus, I know that it can be hard to be like the disciple and lay our kingdoms down and follow you and be teachable. I pray that we would be teachable today. I pray, Jesus, that we would desire to be savory flavor in a flavorless world, that we would desire to be light in a dark world. Jesus, move in us. May your word transform our hearts to be more like you. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now that you would give them courage and boldness, that they would not be afraid, that they wouldn't be afraid to do what's right, that they wouldn't be afraid to to leave their house and burn bright. Give them strength and courage, Jesus, I ask in your name. We love you, Lord. We say thank you so much for your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.